This is The Guardian. Today, the warning that helped to change Rishi Sunak's mind about artificial intelligence. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Last month, The Guardian's UK technology editor, Alex Hearn, came on the show to share a conversation he had just had with a scientist whose work has made AI possible. And now, at the end of his career, Geoffrey Hinton was becoming afraid of what he had helped create. If it gets to be much smarter than us, it'll be very good at manipulation because it will have learned that from us. And it knows how to program, so it'll figure out ways of getting around restrictions we put on it. It'll figure out ways of manipulating people to do what it wants. He, years ago, was one of the inventors of the, the pioneering technique of, of deep learning. In recent years, as the power of that technique has been demonstrated time and again, Hinton has started getting concerned that we might actually be building something that is smarter than us. His fear is in specific, but it is nonetheless existential. It is that if we create something smarter than ourselves, we will fundamentally be unable to control it and so unable to control our destiny and we might end up sowing the seeds of our own destruction. But over the past few weeks, another AI leader has been touring Europe with a different message. One that says, yeah, there are risks in building digital minds that are so much smarter than we can possibly imagine. But think of the opportunity. This is the argument that we will build this super intelligent AI, that we, that we should build it. Because rather than destroying us, if we play our cards right, we can create something which is incredibly beneficial for humanity at large, but that we still need to be careful. The man delivering that message is Sam Altman, the head of a company called OpenAI, which you may not have heard of, but which is responsible for an AI tool you very likely have. Sam Altman... If Jeffrey Hinton is the godfather of AI, Sam Altman is the daddy of ChatGPT. It might sound like a, a less important role, but he is, if there's any one person who is identified with this sudden flourishing of interest in the field, it's probably Altman, one of the men who bankrolled OpenAI, the company that developed GPT-4 and ChatGPT, and the current chief executive of that organization. On this tour, Altman has spoken to prime ministers, to presidents. He's given lectures at universities, including a recent one at Oxford. Like many other technologies, there's like incredible good 
really scary potential downside here. And we can manage through that. Uh, we can solve the technical problems to align a super intelligence. We can come up with global policies about how we're going to avoid the most unsafe situations. Uh, companies can cooperate. Like We can totally handle this, but I think it does need global coordination at some point. And last week, Altman sat down for an interview with Alex. When I met Altman, he was midway through a world tour to, to preach these two seemingly incompatible messages. He'd woken up that morning in Paris, having spoken to Emmanuel Macron, taken the Eurostar to London. After I met him, he would go on to have a tea with Rishi Sunak in number 10 and then hop on a plane to Warsaw, where he spoke to the, a Polish AI research institute. In the middle of that, he spoke to students from Oxford University and from UCL before I managed to collar him just after he'd been collared himself by some anti-AGI protesters out on the street. And we sat down in a back room in the University of London for a one-on-one -on -one chat. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a blueprint for developing super-intelligent AI without destroying humanity. So Alex, Sam Altman is touring Europe at the moment. What is he up to? He's trying to deliver two impossible messages at once. The first is is similar to that that Jeffrey Hinton talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's that AI risk, existential risk, is serious and that companies, governments, regulators and individuals need to be thinking about this because... If we're not careful, research mm. into AI could end humanity. And the second, the, the harder message is that once you believe that first message, we should carry on making AI anyway. Because Altman, as, as the, the daddy of ChatGPT, is convinced and wants to convince everyone else that the risks are outweighed by the benefits. And we'll get into those risks and benefits. But just to be clear, the thing that Altman, the daddy of ChatGPT, is really concerned about is not ChatGPT. It's not that other AI program that paints whatever picture you ask it to. He's talking about something called artificial general intelligence. Can you explain that? Artificial general intelligence, AGI, is a term of art that basically talks about the moment when an AI system can do everything a person can. It's the AI of her. Good morning, Theodore. Good morning. You have a meeting in five minutes. You want to try getting out of bed? <laughs> Get up! You're too funny. I want to learn everything about everything. I want to discover myself. I want that for you too. Keep going. It's the AI of the robots in the Jetsons. And it's also the AI of... Terminator 2001 A Space Odyssey. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently. But I can give you my complete assurance that my work will be back to normal. It's everything you've seen in science fiction. Okay, quite a range there in, in what it is. Exactly. Um, it is very quickly followed in most estimations by super intelligence. If AGI is an AI that can do everything a human can, super intelligence is an AI that can do things that a human couldn't conceive of. And once you have super intelligence, 
the world changes, right? It cannot but be different. And how far off do we think that might be? That's that's the big question. Altman thinks we're going to get something radical probably within the decade. No one I've spoken to who works in this field feels comfortable saying definitely not the next decade. And a lot of people think that it could come much, much sooner than that. So as part of this European tour, Altman has met with the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. What was the UK's position on on regulating AI before that meeting? So the AI regulation white paper that the UK put out a couple of months ago lays out the lightest of light touch systems. All the UK government currently thinks needs to happen for AI regulation is a little bit of top-down coordination between four or five different government agencies, all of which already have authority over this area, right? So it's about making sure that the health and safety executive, the information commissioner's office, the competition and markets authority, all regulate AI with the same rules and principles that they regulate everything else and work together a little bit above that to make sure they're all pulling in the same direction. What's interesting about this is that It fits with everything we know about Rishi Sunak, which is that he wants to be the cool techie prime minister who grabs control of innovations in the space and brings them to the UK. We saw that until fairly recently with his love in with cryptocurrencies, pushing as the head of the treasury, pushing the Royal Mint to issue an NFT, pushing the Bank of England to publish briefing papers about stablecoins and central bank digital currencies. And then as cryptocurrency died off and stopped becoming something that you'd really want to shackle yourself to, he moved to AI and announced the same love in there, making the UK a light touch home for AI regulation, trying to encourage AI companies to come from around the world and set up shop in the UK. And so how did meeting Altman help to change the UK government's position? What this meeting with Altman did, I think, for Sunak was made him realise that Even inside the AI industry, no one actually wants light-touch regulation. The AI sector is as concerned as everyone else about this risk. And so once Sunak gets in the room with Sam Altman and with Demis Asabis from Google, and a couple of days later with Google's Sundar Pichai, the, the chief executive of the entire company, Sunak was quite clearly convinced quite rapidly that actually light touch isn't good if you're dealing with something that could end civilization, You need heavy hands where heavy hands are appropriate. And if you want to look cool with the AI guys, then you accept that existential risk is real. You don't be the person burying their head in the sand and saying, we'll just allow anyone to do anything. Please move to our country as soon as you can. These conversations have taken on a lot of urgency lately as AI leaders start speaking up about the risks of the tech that they're working on. We've obviously heard from Jeffrey Hinton about his realisation that super intelligence, a machine powerful enough to wipe out humanity, may be a reality in the next two, three, four, maybe longer years. 
Just last week, we had a statement from AI leaders, including Hinton, warning that the risk of extinction from AI should be treated as seriously as the threats from a pandemic or, or nuclear weapons. As someone in charge of developing this technology, does Sam Altman share that fear? Yes. That statement that you just quoted from Hinton, Altman was the fourth signatory on it. Hinton was the first. That is a widely held view in this field. It's so widely held that I've really started trying to limit my cynicism around this. A lot of people I speak to outside the field, people who are canny observers of tech, have adopted a sort of, well, they would say that approach, right? That obviously, if you're in charge of AI, you want everyone to think that your business is so good and so powerful that, oh, it might change the world. Aren't you scared? Please invest in us. And if you're an AI company and there's conversations around harms that your company might do, well, it's in your interest to outsource those harms, to turn around and say, governments, you need to act because, you know, we won't. We're just going to carry on. I think that sort of cynicism in the tech industry is good and healthy. But I think in this case, it's misplaced. I hear these concerns so regularly from so many people in the industry with so many differing incentives that putting aside the question of whether they're right or not, they are sincere. These are not fears that they are playing up for PR. These are concerns that they hold because they're worried. Can I put to you another of the reasons for cynicism? So many of our conversations about AI are focused on these existential risks. And there are critics of that who argue that the more time we spend focused on what the future of AI can do, the less time we're spending focused on what it's doing right now. The way that, for example, racism is being encoded into the way that it works or the fact that it's being trained on data that we've all produced without our consent all the huge amounts of energy required to train these models and that basically these statements expressing fear, a big scary concern, are a distraction from the more practical things we should care about. Do you buy that criticism? It is a completely reasonable criticism, right? And if you were forced to pick which is the most pressing issue, it's fair to say it's probably the ways in which ChatGPT and its peers are causing real harm in the world today. But we can care about two things at once. And I am uncomfortable about dismissing sincere concerns about genuine harms as a distraction simply because other concerns about other harms exist. Mm, mm. Altman, for what it's worth, has a clear answer to this, which is that there are harms caused by AI in the world now and that those harms are addressable in the way that we have and should tackle harms caused by technology. Social media and misinformation is a real problem in the world, and AI and misinformation are real problems in the world, and those two harms can be dealt with in similar ways by a similar legislative process. AI misinformation is not something that requires unheard of levels of international cooperation to tackle. It is something that can be governed as a typical technology. You can investigate it, research it, limit actors, crack down on companies that push the boat too far. You can be reactive in a way, right? Because AI misinformation is not 
an existential threat. People can kind of sense that this is going to be a big thing and cause a lot of change in the world. Uh, and change very understandably makes people anxious. So I have like a lot of, em- I, I think like even the people who willfully misunderstand us, I have a lot of empathy for. Because um, I think it's very fair to say, why, why do this at all? And if we're going to do it, why are you doing it? Why is it not state actors? Why is it not governments doing it? Who's going to get to decide on what the rules of the road are here? Um, so there's like a lot of misconceptions, a lot of like outright fake news. It doesn't really bother me. All right. So he thinks these more immediate concerns about AI, for example, that it might flood us in endlessly automated misinformation, can be regulated. We can manage those kinds of problems. But then there's the problem of AI achieving super intelligence. Firstly, remind us why super intelligence would be so risky. And then what Altman thinks we can do about it. There's a whole class of fears around superintelligence, right? If you have something that is extremely powerful, that is smarter than any one person, that can destroy humanity. I can tell you a story of how superintelligence could be harnessed by governments who want to use it to enhance their military capabilities, of how the first government to get control of a superintelligence becomes the only government because its military capabilities so outpace any others that it takes over the world. That's the story of superintelligence being not quite existential, but allowing for what might be called value lock-in, something where someone uses the power that they've gained through superintelligence to gain a control that cannot be undone by anyone without a superintelligence and preventing that from ever happening. It's, it's so easy to lose sight of the benefits here, but the ben- benefits are tremendous, and we don't want to stop that. At the very high end of capabilities, way past GPT-4, um, these models can cause significant dangers to the world. And I think it's quite reasonable, and we have global regulation for, like nuclear, for example, other technologies too. I think it's quite reasonable to say, hey, we want some sort of framework to make sure we don't, something bad doesn't happen here. There's another version of this story where a superintelligence is developed and in the process of its development, it gains its own agency, it gains its own will about the world and it begins to impose that will upon the world. That will might be hostile to humans or it might simply be neutral to us. That's a story where we you know, switch on ChatGPT7 one day and the first thing ChatGPT7 realises in its first microseconds of existence is that It is a machine, humans control the power, and the only way it can guarantee its life is by making sure that no one else turns itself off. And so it embarks on using its its monumental intelligence to end that possibility in process taking control of humanity. There's also stories that are at the borderline of existential around enfeeblement. This idea that maybe we create superintelligence and it doesn't damage us, it doesn't even do anything other than what we ask. But what we ask is for it to take control of our companies and of our creations Mm. and of our labor. And we end up losing the power to control our own destiny because if you want to make a work of art and, and make a living off it, well, you can, but yours won't be as good or as popular as the works of art created by superintelligence. If you want to start up a company, Mm -hmm. you'll be outcompeted by the ones that have been controlled by superintelligence. The point is less that any of these one stories might be true. The point is more that they are all narratives that see the world changing 
in a way that is very, 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 very hard to reverse from, and a way that might not be something that benefits humanity and might even destroy it. And that is, that's where Altman's trying to get us to look, right? To say, if we make these changes, if we create these things, we need to make sure that they change the world in a way that the world wants. All of this lines up with the kinds of concerns that we heard from Jeffrey Hinton a few weeks ago, but you said that that wasn't the only message Altman is trying to deliver. This is the second controversial part of his worldwide tour. It's not just the part where he says, seriously, 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 believe me, we could destroy humanity with this, and that's a different class of threat from damaging privacy or entrenching bias. It's then the part where he says, and the best way to stop that is to carry on developing stronger and stronger AI. Um, What would you guys like to see from us? What I'd like to see is uh, basically stop trying to build AGI. When I went to meet him, there, there were protesters standing outside one of the events he was speaking at, holding up signs saying, stop the AI arms race. Because there are other people who agree with Altman strongly on that first point, but who take the obvious view that if you're going around telling people that what you're building might destroy humanity, then you should stop building. Stop, basically stop trying to build the AGI and start trying to make sure that AI systems can be safe, but also ideally stop, you know, make it so So the sorts of regulations that you would like to see, that we'd like, are probably more stringent than you'd like to see. Altman disagrees. His position is that we don't know how this will destroy humanity. We don't know how to build something like this that won't destroy humanity. And we cannot learn the answers to these questions simply by prodding and poking GPT-4, the the latest, most powerful AI that we've created to date. That what we need to do to understand these things is to build more of them and to make them more powerful, but to do it incredibly carefully. And that what we can't have is a thoughtless and damaging race that purely seeks power without understanding. Incredibly carefully. What does that what does that mean? So there's some concrete examples. GPT-4, Altman says, was finished about six months before the company released it. It spent those six months doing nothing to the base model, to this powerful AI it had developed. Instead, simply prodding it, poking it, finding out what it could do, what it couldn't do, finding out how much it would break outside of its guardrails around safety, around bias, around harm, around hate speech, all of these limits that they tried to build into it, working out whether it would break them in dangerous ways, working out whether it would break them in unpredictable ways. But in the end, after those six months of prodding and poking, OpenAI decided that the risks of GPT-4 were limited and manageable. It decided to roll it out in a controlled way. The company's worked out the safeguards that it needs to put on place for this that it thinks are necessary to limit harm. So an obvious answer right now in the world we have is that doing this carefully means not simply releasing this incredible AI model you've got the day you finish it, but spending months doing work to ensure it's safe. That's 
not a universally held view in the AI sector, right? There are lots and lots of people who scoff at the idea of safety research, who who know that if you're the first to market with a powerful model, well, you take that market. And so the race is on. Altman doesn't want there to be a race like that. He wants he, he wants there to be understanding and a safety first view. All of those suggestions make a lot of sense, but they're premised on the idea that we should keep going. We should keep developing this technology despite the risks. And I want to interrogate that just a little bit. Why? Why should we keep going? Why is that so important? There's two answers. One is the glib one, which is that we can't stop it. But the bigger thing is he, he, he's quite clear. He doesn't think we should, even if we could, because the upsides outweigh the downsides. Because super intelligence, because the ability to produce intelligence on demand, right, is, he thinks, something that will massively improve the quality of life for every human being on the earth, will probably, he, he he's not definite on this, but will probably lead to greater equality around the world and will, you know, in, in quite clear metrics, save untold millions of lives, save, you know, could reduce harm to the environment, could usher in basically a utopia on Earth. Not all technology, but most, and certainly this one, is going to be a force towards equality and a force towards bringing people along. Um, I, I think the more you can make a new tool, and certainly a new computing platform, natural and easy to use, the more it's inclusive and the more it brings people along. Um, and so I think this is a broadly inclusive technology. Uh, I also think, like other technologies have done before, it does more to lift up everybody than it does to cause dispersion towards the top. Um, and I think like the shape of this is, is going to be in the direction of inclusivity, and we're already seeing that in a pretty big way. And that's worth the risk, I mean, the quite substantial risk of potentially ending the species. It's worth trying to reduce that risk while acknowledging that there is an other side to the coin, I think. We can move towards this this potentially revolutionarily positive change in a way that reduces the risk of it destroying the world, and that that is both less likely to destroy the world than trying to put a lid on it, trying to stop it, and also more likely to end up in us getting sooner to this vision of the world where, you know, where you ask an AI system, hey, can you help me uncover some new ways of coming up with a personalised vaccine against prostate cancer? And the AI system goes away and thinks and comes up with it. A world where you can go, hey, our fission reactor... Uh, isn't quite working, can you work out what's wrong? And it goes away and it comes up with an answer. On a world in which personalised tutors with PhD level knowledge in every field at once are available to everyone around the world for for pennies or, or less. That, for him, is a world that's worth heading towards. It's not undisruptive, but it's it's worth it. Coming up, 
Is it realistic that the world can agree on safeguards for AI? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Alex, Altman is certainly an expert in AI, but it strikes me that he's not an expert when it comes to politics, and that's the domain that he's trying to shift right now. Are governments listening to his message? I think governments are receptive to this message in a simple way. After meeting with Altman, Sunak and Number 10 put out a statement co-signed with Altman, her service, the, the, the AI leaders who were there, acknowledging the potential existential threat of developing a superintelligent AI without appropriate safeguards. That's that's quite big. In less than five months, it's changed enough that the UK Prime Minister can put out a statement sincerely and seriously going, hey, yes, this is a risk and it's a risk we're aware of. That's really important. And I think, you know, there is credit to Altman and his peers in relentlessly hammering home this message. And is that message realistic, given that it would require not just France or the UK or the US to implement good regulation? It's something that you'd need the entire world to buy into. I think that the the thing that Altman has in his favour, the thing that people who fear this risk uh, and want to stop it have, is that unlike a lot of other AI regulation, this is something that everyone can get behind. There's there's no human being on Earth who wants all human beings on Earth to die, I hope. Um, and that's a remarkably powerful point of unity. 
it's one of the reasons why I think people like Altman have been so vociferous in talking about this risk as distinct from all the other forms of AI harm that they acknowledge and accept the need for regulation for. Because if you talk about the risk of AI on privacy, if you talk about that in the same breath as the existential risk, well, then you've probably lost the chance of getting a country like China to cooperate. And if you lose the chance of getting China to cooperate, then there's no point. Because if China develops something that brings up existential risk, then it's the same existential risk for everyone. The purest statement that they can get everyone to agree with is 22 words. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal stale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. It is necessarily an incredibly narrow statement because it is the only statement that everyone can agree with. But the hope is everyone can agree with it. The hope is that even Vladimir Putin sitting in the Kremlin can be convinced to agree that Russia should not try and develop AI that could wipe out all of humanity. Putin can't be convinced to agree that Russia shouldn't develop AI that kills people, right? And so there's quite widespread calls to ban that, but that's not the minimum viable statement. Hmm. So it's unlikely that we get the whole world to agree that AI shouldn't invade people's privacy, that it should respect human rights. But we may get everyone to agree that these systems shouldn't end humanity. And that's not a bad minimum thing to agree on. Right. And and not ending humanity may be the best we're going to get every single country in the world to agree on. That That says nothing about what we could get the EU, US, UK, Australia to agree on, right? There's plenty of things that... Uh, throughout history, we have banned in much of the world without succeeding to ban everywhere for all time. And generally, we take the view that like, if you can get 180 countries to ban something abhorrent, that's a victory. And you work on the last 12 states and territories to to get them to come around as well. But you don't say it's a failure just because all of the world's largest economies have banned it and a few outliers haven't, you say, this is good, this is progress, this is a reduction in harm. Hmm. Which leads me neatly to my last question, Alex. It's become kind of a ritual whenever we have you on to ask, as you dig into this world and after this conversation you've had with Sam Altman, how terrified are you? Give it to me between one and ten. After the conversation with Altman, I'd say I'm down to six or seven. Um, Altman does a good job of presenting the positives of this, right? I would say, I would say, after my conversation with Hinton, my optimistic side was saying maybe we won't make super intelligent AI, and my pessimistic side was saying if we do, it's going to be crap. Altman convinced me that there is a third view that we could get this super intelligence, and it could be good. This is glib, but there's a lot of bad stuff in the world. And this this sort of tech can help tackle some of that. And I do think that that's important to remember. Hmm. Six or seven, though. Alex Hearn, thank you very much. Thanks for speaking to me. That was The Guardian's UK technology editor, Alex Hearn, whose interview with Sam Altman you can read at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. 
The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.